Hey, this is Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. Guess what? What? We're going to be at Dev Intersection May 18th through the 21st in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes, we are. And it's a lineup of a lot of .NET Rocks uh, guests from the past here. Ward Bell's going to be there. Chris Langford's going to be there. Yep. Paul Sheriff. And of course, Scott Guthrie. Brian Noyes. Mm-hmm. All of our friends, folks we know. And uh, it's like two weeks after Build. Yeah, that's a great time to have a conference. Absolutely. All the build keynotes are coming. So yep. we're going to be able to see all the latest bits, everything that just came out of build a couple of weeks later, uh, hopefully with some more detail in it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what we actually get at the Scottsdale Princess. Mark Miller's going to be there. Yes, he is <laughs> doing a little biology of UI, which I think is very cool. I've been over at his house watching him develop this course. And man, is it amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I believe I'll be doing the Xamarin Forms workshop, will I not? You will indeed. And of course, we close the show every time with the 64-bit question. 64-bit question, the game show you've never seen before, and you'll wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why not. So if you'd like to join us, come out, out to Scottsdale, uh, go to devintersection.com and register right away. And if you register for a workshop as well, you get your choice of an Xbox One or a tablet. There's a bunch of different gadgets you get. Do a conference attendance and a workshop. Yeah. All right. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1132, with guest Llewellyn Falco. Recorded Friday, April 10th, 2015. Thank you very much. Welcome back. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for .NET Rocks. That's what I'm here for, man. Well, good, because that's what we've got. I got my coffee. You got your tea. Yep. Let's call the whole thing on. Nice. My .NET Rocks mug, actually, it's a pop mug, one of the very few rare pop mugs in existence, Yeah. is tea-stained. No two ways about it. Yeah, mine's coffee-stained. And I'm using a pop mug right now, actually, at the same time. Wow. Spooky. Yeah. Opposite ends of the coast using the same mug. What does it mean? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Not reading too much into that, but uh, <laughs> I do have something very cool that I found uh, for Better Know Framework. So awesome. Roll that the funky music, white boys. Nice. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? So I had the distinct pleasure of giving my mother an iPad for Christmas. Oh, boy. Now... Uh, <laughs> we like to talk about Grandma Huckabee. Grandma Franklin is quite particular when it comes to her computers. Uh-huh. Because, you know, uh, and among claiming that this thing broke her stuff or that thing doesn't work or whatever when it's clearly pebcac. Yeah. Um, the, the iPad posed a unique challenge, finding the on button. <laughs> and the off button That's a which are the same button. that was a major deal <laughs> and even after button. showing her where the button is she was still pressing the camera for minutes at a time waiting <sighs> okay. for it to slide with the power off anyway so the first thing she says after i get it rolling is i want access to my recipes there where are they on my computer okay now i'm thinking iCloud. i'm thinking Microsoft's thing, hmm, something's got to give here. What can I possibly use to make it easy for Grandma Franklin to access her recipes? Turns out the cloud wasn't even a consideration. First of all, she has like 70 gigs worth of files she wants access to, not just Ouch. that, but pictures and documents and all that stuff. Yeah, I was thinking 70 gigs worth of recipes, that's a lot of recipes. Yeah, so it turns out that there's an app for the uh, for iOS called File Browser. Oh, 
by Stratospherics, and you can get there uh, at iTunes with tinyurl.com slash filebrowserios, or just go to the App Store and look for File Browser. It's right. got a big FB icon. It's not Facebook, though. Now, Oops. what you do is you just simply share your over Wi-Fi, you know, make a share. Yep. And you, like we do, we shared network, you know, files, drops, folders, whatever. Like those things we do. Those things we do. And you simply access it on your iOS device. And there are a couple free apps out there, at least one. But it was lame UI-wise. Like, there wasn't really anything you could do with it. You couldn't sort stuff. You, the, the icon kept closing on me. Like, you know, the list kept closing. This one really works well. And you just simply connect to it, browse photos, files, whatever, Done. recipes. You can search, right? Search it. She has a lot of recipes, and she just searches based on the content of the doc files. They just come right up. Nice. Yeah, and it just worked. And I was so thankful that I didn't have to go through iCloud or... Any of those other things, yeah. Or even, you know, OneDrive or... Well, you don't have to change any of your practices, because now if she goes back to her desktop machine, it's still there. Like, yeah. You just, you just avoided a lot of trouble there, didn't you? And I just remembered how easy computing used to be when when it was just, you know, shares and network shares and stuff and not all this cloud stuff. Nah, you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Franklin. You know, it's it can be a lot easier. The solution can be easier. Right. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Can be. So that's what I got. Awesome. Uh, file browser iOS at tinyurl.com. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1088, the one we did with Mr. Sanmez. We were talking about working on your career. And this comment comes from Dave Bush. And you remember one of the big things you were talking about was, you know, when you're working on your career, you're, you're pushing against your skill set and how you want to do things the right way. And Dave had this great comment. He said, somewhere in the first half of the show, you all concur that TDD and continuous integration, continuous delivery, so forth, are standard and baseline for any developer, et cetera. I don't know that we actually agreed to that. I think we were all talking about these are the direction things are going in. And, and if you're not working, if you're working on your career to working towards those things, but yes. Mm -hmm. And Dave makes this great observation. Okay. Why is it that I can't find an organization that understands this? <laughs> I just interviewed an organization today that was advertising the organization as Agile slash Scrum. When I asked how the interviewer defined that, I didn't even get the Scrum but answer. All he means is that they do iterative development. Okay. As in, we work on our software more than once. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> I was all prepared to ask more qualifying questions like, how long are your sprints and how do you manage your backlog? But he took all the wind out of my sails. And I had to tell him about the benefits of TDD. And while he admitted they needed to move towards continuous integration, by the time I was done, I was left wondering if he had any idea what was meant or any idea that he was only one step along the long path towards continuous deployment, yeah. which his organization could really benefit from. I feel like Vinus Van Pelt. Now there's a name. Awesome. From Snoopy, right? Yeah. At Christmas time, isn't there anyone who knows the true meaning of Christmas? <laughs> only my version is isn't there anyone who wants to do real Agile and Scrum? Isn't there anyone really believing in TDD? Really? Does anyone really believe in continuous integration? If all this is so basic and fundamental, why am I having such a hard time finding organizations that at least understand that they should be doing these things? Or now, I'll back this off a bit more. Should want to do these things. Right. Dave? Awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Dave is a lifetime commenter. He yes. may sh- he might get the lifetime commenter achievement award. Yeah, but what a, I mean, it's a great point of yep. what do you do when you when the organizations that are in front of you are several generations behind where you want to be as a developer? Yeah, you know, this is the perfect comment to start the show. Do you, do you like think that was an Richard. accident, Llewellyn? Do you think? Do you think this is my first rodeo? Really? 1135 episodes in? Yeah. Oh, no. Just completely fortuitous timing. Yeah. But let me close and then we'll dig into it. Dave, thank you so much for your comment. Donnet Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Donnet Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Windows 8. And let me introduce the man whose voice you just heard. That is Lou Allen Falco. He's an agile technical coach specializing in legacy code and test-driven development. He's the creator of the open source testing tool, Approval Tests, which you can find at ApprovalTests.com. Also co-founder of TeachingKidsProgramming.org and a Pluralsight author. Welcome back, Lou Allen. Oh, it's great to be here, guys. We uh we talked to, with you about teaching kids programming. I got to tell you, uh, you were asking me before the show started if I ever did anything with that, and yes, I did. It was a, uh, a whole year of of uh, talks. Well, not a whole year. Maybe there were seven or eight talks that I did for my daughter's middle school, and I called it Geek of Music. The purpose I had two, you know, goals. One was just to light a fire, but the other one was sort of demythologize the the computer nerd you know just a sort of you know say here's a guy who plays in a rock band you know and and uh has a recording studio and writes code and is doing very well at it and you get to do it with your daughter which is fantastic i mean i actually learned to program for my mother who was a programmer this is back in 1980 mm. and she came to our school and she took a group with us and taught us to program this on like Apple IIe's and we're doing basic. Yeah. Um, but there's something really wonderful about getting to work with, with your parent or work with your, your kid. It just takes something that is good anyways and makes it better. I'm going to publish the, the, the stuff that I did. And what I really did was I didn't want to dive into a lot of technical detail. There was one that was pretty technical, but um, you know, only for a few minutes, just enough to let their eyes roll back. And then I sort of brought it back to the fun, but it was all based on fun stuff. So the first day was a, a quadcopter. I brought in a quadcopter and we wrote, you know, one line of code to make it hover, one line of code to make it take off and go forward for five seconds, another line of code to make it stop and then land, right? And then just modifying that program to make it fly around the room and terrorize people was just a whole lot of fun. Another one I did, and you'll like this one, Richard, was on just on the internet, and I used, um, I used my play the piano through the internet gag that I do. Awesome, yeah, and that was really amazing. So what I basically did was I have MIDI in my piano. For those who don't remember this, the the it's a baby grand piano at the studio, but it has a MIDI outfit in it, and when you if you plug a keyboard into it. And you play the keyboard, the keys go up and down, and it's velocity sensitive and everything. So it actually does play. There's a little solenoid under each uh, hammer. And what I can do then is I wrote a little app that a little daemon that takes MIDI data that I send to it from a desktop through the internet and plays it. And then I had a Skype, you know, camera on it. 
So we were looking at it, and I had this all set up in the classroom, but I didn't have the screen on, so they couldn't see the piano. And I had my, this is great. I had, and I don't mean to totally derail your, your show, but I know you want to see this. I had this little keyboard, and I had my laptop and a speaker, and I said, now who can tell me what this is? And I pressed the keyboard, and there's like this much delay. Press, bang. You know, when I press a key, press, bang. That's like the delay for it to come back through Skype, okay? And so where where is that sound coming from? From the keyboard, you middle school kids. Nope. From the speaker. Well, yeah, but where is it really originating? From the computer. Nope. Let me tell you, it's not in this room. And the, the, the question marks over the was priceless, right? It's like, oh, that's fantastic. And then I put up the screen and they saw the, the studio piano with the keys moving up and down. I did like chopsticks or something. Some kid in the back stands up and screams, that's not real. No way. <laughs> <laughs> That is spawn of Satan. Burn him. Yeah. <laughs> There's a study they just did where they um, would do like basic magic tricks for toddlers. Wow. And it turns out that if the if the kid, even even below the age of one, is surprised, they start paying a lot more attention and they start learning a lot quicker. Yeah. Because they're like, that's that's not what my version of the world says should happen. Right. And as soon as you break that. You really, really drive learning up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's the sense of wonder. That's the beginning of learning, you know, yeah. the sense of awe. And that's magic. And that certainly was the case in, in, with me when I was a kid. That's fantastic. So I think that's an, a noble thing that any any one of us listening could do is just take a very simple demo and without, you know, not your typical demo, right? This just has to be magic. And just show them that, you know, this can be done. This is what computer programmers can do. And just, you know, that that could light a fire. But anyway, let's talk about what you're doing lately. <laughs> Habits of a highly successful developer. Yeah. So, I mean, lately I've been uh, sort of going to the companies Dave was talking about where they – a lot of times they, they know there is a better way, um, but they're usually still stuck – fairly far behind, right? Like a lot of times iterative development will come in because it's kind of the same as what you're doing anyways, right? And uh, stand up is kind of the same as a regular meeting, but you're just not on a chair. And some people sit right. down during their stand up, so it's really similar. Uh, and, and helping them move along. And, you know, it's slightly different than what I've done because I, I used to do a lot of training. Mm -hmm. And I started to get really frustrated with, I, I would go to companies and we would, we'd take a week and we'd go into a room and, you know, we would practice and I'm an agile guy. So a lot of times we'd be practicing test-driven development or refactoring and, and we'd really build that skill set. And then I would leave and I'd check back in and you know, two or three weeks later, everything had gone right back to where it was before I came in. Mm, right. Mm. And you just see that over and over again. And, you know, maybe you come back out another year later, or two years later, but it's just, you're never really making this change. People are very happy with their habitual ways yeah. and means of doing things. And so I've started changing how I'm, how I'm working and how I'm working with companies to build habits. 
instead of instead of trying to go in and 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 build skill or to show how much good technical stuff I can do, I've started to work on how can we sit together a little bit at a time and really do things that I'm not measuring what happens when I'm there. I'm measuring what happens after I leave. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that has been a just a world of difference for me. And you know, that's what I wanted to start talking about is how do you how do you do the change? How do you change stuff like that? Does it come down to the developers being invested in their job? I mean, it seems to me that anyone who wants to solve a problem is going to try to come at it from the best way possible at all times. So that's true. I, I think, you know, there's a lot more systems thinking about, you know, your environment is creating a lot of what you do. Because you're right. Most of us, you know, we're not evil. We're not, you know, we have good intentions and we're, we're trying our best. And it just feels like, you know, sometimes the battle is so big. Right. So I think people are always trying to do it. Um, in terms of being invested, you know what you just talked about with your your grandmother? Yeah. Um, she wanted her recipes on the iPad. Yeah, yeah. And that the fact that she wants that means that whatever you do has a much higher chance of being successful because you're on fertile ground. Yeah, sure. Right? Like you might try to show her games or try to get her to check the news or what. Go to the things she wants, no matter what it is. Right. And I've been finding the same thing with the teams, right? So even if I know there's something better, I go where they want to go. Because if I want them to continue when I'm gone, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know your you know your mom's gonna be looking at her recipes when you're not there. Sure. And assuming she can find the power button. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> you know. How many recipes does she have to read before the power button isn't even a thought? Right. Right. And so when you're looking at building habits, that repetition is really important. If she goes in there one time when you're there and does it, she's not going to remember where that power button is. Sure. But if she goes to her recipes, you know, two or three times a week, two or three months later, like that's a, that's a no-brainer. Yep. This is like physical therapy. Yeah. Muscle memory. You got to keep making that range of motion over and over and over again. Or playing an instrument. Yeah. And habits are really like physical therapy because habits are pathways in your brain. And you have to form those pathways in the same way that you build muscle. And and very specifically, for the brain, you know, the brain is a very complicated thing, but you can think of it pretty much as fires together, wires together. If things are happening repeatedly, very close time in your brain, right. your brain will create a pathway to optimize that that path. Association. Yeah. Yeah. And so you need something that's going to continue. And, and you need stuff that will continue when you're not there. Otherwise, there's not enough time for, th- for those pathways to really form. So going where they're interested is big. And then there's another thing you did in that scenario with your, with your mother that's actually really brilliant. And, and that's the thing I've been looking at more and more, which is, you know, there are all these things that, you know, there, there's just probably like a hundred different ways to solve that problem that are more robust, better use of the cloud, would allow her to edit in different places. Sure. But what you did is the thing that is almost exactly what she's already doing, but just a tiny little bit different. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, and that is, that is so key is that not even 10% innovative, like just, just very, very close to what they were already doing. Right. And if you can make that change small, then you don't get, you know, people get scared about change. People always say that. Right. And, and those critical experiences are the first experiences. If those first experiences aren't, you're not knocking it out of the park, then you have a good chance of, of losing them forever. I mean, they, you know, in other words, if her experience of getting recipes on the iPad was bad, the iPad was bad and there would be no more iPad. Yes, but it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to knock it out of the park. It just has to be pretty similar to what she would do if she would print it out, but a little bit better. Yeah. Right. And, and I've actually found that rather than trying to knock it out of the park, just trying to make it very similar has served me better. I guess when I mean knock it out of the park, I mean succeed. Yeah, it has to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to succeed big, though. It just has to succeed. It just has to achieve the goal. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a similar story where something I'm working on right now, um, I was called in to look at um, a server app where uh, in several environments, and in two of the environments, server.matpath in ASP.NET returns the correct directory. And in two of the environments, it does not. It returns the, something off of the root. That's scary. And the, the guys have been scratching their heads on this for a week and a half. And um, I came in and I said, well, I don't know what the problem is, but I know a workaround, which is to uh, encode a file path in the, in the web config file and read it out of there. And it's not great. It's not wonderful, but it'll work, and your system will be up and running rather than, you know, sitting there spending thousands of dollars a week on developer time for a problem that you may or may not be able to figure out. Yeah, and that gets you working. Right. And it's it's very unlikely to break much, right? Because it's a very small change. It's a small change. Sure. The weird thing is developers are good at that, right? They're good at doing, like, the small hacks and workarounds that get get something working. And the only difference between doing that and building habits that are are great and building software that is great is not stopping. Hmm. Right? Like when, when you just do the one thing and then you leave, what you end up with is software that's a little bit better, but then it gets kind of clumpy and, right. and it gets complicated. If every day you stretch a little bit further, it doesn't matter really how much more you stretch. But if you stretch a little bit further every day, eventually you're flexible. And the uh, the physical therapy metaphor is coming loud and clear now, coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I wanted to talk about some of these things that you do to build habits because what I've also discovered is it's really not hard. <laughs> and so a lot of times people will bring in, uh, you know, people like myself or consultants to to come in places. But so much of this is really easy and teams should be doing themselves. And if you're in a team where you're like, you know, I kind of wish we could be better. There's these really simple things that you can do because the main thing is time. And the one thing every full-time employee has is time. Mm. They're going to be at their job next year. And that's a lot of, that's, you know, that's 300 days, you know, between here and next year. And that's a lot of time. Yeah. So the first, I, I, I mentioned this before, but there's actually a phenomenon called change blindness. 
And if you get a chance, there's a, a really nice YouTube video. If you Google gradual change test. Okay. And they have this thing and it, they say spot what changes. And you look at this picture and it oh, yeah. kind of looks like a graveyard and you're, you're supposed to figure out what changes. Right. And most people cannot detect what changed. I saw this on Brain Games as well. They did a, yes. a thing where subtle changes, you know, uh, it's a scene and a, a car gets removed here and a, uh, you know, a, a tree gets removed there. The color of the this building turns from yellow to red, but it happens so slowly that you don't notice it. And, you know, that's sort of what happens with Facebook, right? Like Facebook is updating twice a day. And it doesn't really bother anybody. And it doesn't bother anybody because nobody notices, right? Yeah. You look back at Facebook and, and you try to think, like, what's changed over the last month? And nothing comes to your mind. And when nothing comes to your mind, there's no resistance. But if you think of, like, Windows Vista and Windows 7, like, now those changes jump right out at you. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people do change that way. They, they chunk well, they do it both in the way they develop software, mm -hmm. right? So they do these big releases and lots of change and people get frustrated. But when you do it really really frequently and really small, not only do people not get frustrated, they don't even notice. Yeah. And if you can change your developers' habits in the same manner, they don't notice that they're changing. Hmm. And you know, like I, I saw just recently, I was going through uh, some Facebook pictures, and I saw pictures of myself, you know, four or five years ago, and it was shocking to me. Like so many things have changed, and you know, let's be honest, not all for the better. <laughs> um, but I feel exactly the same as I was yesterday, and I feel the same as I was the day before, and I don't know when these things occurred. I'm not sure where the gray hair came from. You know, <laughs> So, you know, you can do this thing where you feel exactly the same as you did yesterday, and yet you are completely different than you were a year ago. So is that just a principle of introducing new things slowly? Or, I mean, at some point, like if you're going from, uh, you know, not, scrum, not having scrum meetings to having scrum meetings, that's a big change. How do you introduce that slowly? Well, okay, so not having scrum meetings to having scrum meetings, you're doing – Okay, you're doing meetings, right? Those that's probably not a big change. It mm -hmm. if that's a big change at your company, where meetings yeah. are the big thing, please hire me there. Like, <laughs> I want to find the company that does not know about meetings. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even the worst companies. In fact, probably you could argue the All worst. The worst, the worst companies have more meetings than the ones that are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so you're you're doing meetings and you're doing some kind of you're building software in some sort of chunk, right? And so a lot of times the answer isn't to say, hey, we're releasing every six, uh, every six months. Let's go to two-week iterations. You know, a lot of times it's, you know, okay, you're releasing every six months. Well, let's see if we can release every month, right? Now, for Scrum, like there, there's a philosophy of Scrum, which is the one-month iteration. Um, and that seems you know, for a lot of us in the agile world who are getting down to multiple releases a day, that just seems horribly long. Right. But it is exactly the right step to take because one month iterations aren't that different 
from six months and you're already like, you're already stretching that person. And then once they start getting good at one month iterations, try the two week iterations because <laughs> two week iterations aren't that much different from one week iterations. But you are talking about a 50% drop. Like it, it's not a trivial drop. I mean, what if you just shaved off a day each time? So a day would be great, actually. Um, but it's hard to fit into the week. That's actually, it's probably more disturbing to the people right. to have it end on a Thursday than it is. You go to a three-week iteration. Right. That's not as bad. Yeah, but drop a, maybe drop in a week at a time. I've, I mean, I've always been very cognizant of this idea of threshold of perception. It's like if you're lifting 100 pounds and I put one more pound on, you probably can't tell. Exactly. Mm. You know, what's the minimum amount of weight I can add to you before you go, okay, that's heavier. And, you know, the argument here is, can we add something below the threshold of your perception, but still move us forward to being better? And as long as you keep doing that over time, you you pass the part where it should have hit their threshold. Right. Do you have some other good examples of doing that where you've been successful? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the I was also thinking again, because Dave was mentioning continuous integration, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of places, you know, a lot of places when they do a release, there's a downtime, right? So like servers have to be turned off, stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of doing, you know, some kind of continuous integration and continuous deploy is just that that's such a big step. So a lot of times, you know, in there, what we start working on is just can we start automating some of this deploy? Right. And once you get it automated, automate some more of it until the, eventually you're going to get it to the whole thing's automated. But mm. don't try to start with, we need to automate the whole thing. Right. Start with like, we're doing this. What, what are the parts that we can automate easily? Because another part of this small changes is always the low hanging fruit. Sorry, this is a different example, but I really, it was one that I got lucky with. Okay. So, I, I was I was working with a team and I came in on a Monday morning and they told me that you know the team in China had had messed stuff up they they had broken everything and they were fighting it and I my immediate thought was like oh the way you protect yourself from other people breaking your code is through unit tests mm -hmm. so I'm like right. oh we we got to get we got to teach them some unit testing stuff to protect them. And then I started like just again, it's it's unrolling that or unpeeling the onion. I'm like, well, unit tests to work, they have to be run. So I, I look at uh the CI build, and they have two CI builds, one that runs the test and one that doesn't. But the one that everyone cares about is the one that doesn't run the tests. Don't <laughs> 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 so of course when I when I look at the build, I notice that the CI had been broken for, you know, many days. So it wouldn't even matter if I, if I could teach them to test better and nobody's looking at that and no one's caring, it's not going to matter. So, you know, the old me kind of jumps up and says, oh, we, the CI has to pass the test and that has to matter. Right. And, and fortunately, it was Monday morning. So a lot of the people that, that I would have wanted to run and, and talk to and, and, and maybe yell a little bit, um, they, they hadn't gotten in yet. And so, so fortunately, I, I got enough time to sort of like let that cool down and say, okay, well, if, if I do that, I have to change all the other teams that work 
on this project. Mm. I mean, there's about seven or eight other teams, right? So about 80 other people. And, and that's a lot of change. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, well, what about this one team? How can I help them? Right. So if I can't make the whole thing matter, maybe I can make the tests that they care about matter. I'd like to ask you to hold the story right there because, Richard, you know what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to reveal how many good habits I have. <laughs> None. Oh. Get it? None. Habit. Get it? Uh, None. Okay. No? No. Nobody? Nobody? Yeah, nobody. I get it. All it's, right. it's a Christian joke. Well, yeah, it's a nun joke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Steven Van Raphorst. Hi, congratulations, Steven. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you, sir. And, uh got the clappers and, and steven just won the telerik devcraft collection a big pile of awesome from telerik and if you don't know what we're doing here go to rocks.com click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions and join the dotnet rocks fan club we have thousands of members all over the world and in every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors and every december we like to give away and we do give away a five thousand dollar technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club and Llewellyn, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you be buying? Well, you know, there's technology for work and there's technology for toys. Yes. My, my work setup I'm pretty happy with right now. I, I might go for a refresh, but I'm on a MacBook Pro. I, I have a good monitor. Oh, uh, did your monitor come in, Richard? I did, the 34-inch curved. How is it? Spectacular. Hmm. All right, so so that might get added to the work work side. Hmm. It's delicious. <laughs> What's the ultimate resolution of that? Uh, thirty-eight forty by fourteen forty. Okay, not bad. And do you run it at, for full pixels? Oh yeah, full resolution all the time. It's not that high a DPI. Nice. So it's yeah, it's absolutely usable at full res. I wouldn't do anything else with it. I love me some pixels. Yeah, lots and lots of pixels. So it's the test machine, play machine. You know, uh, the main dev machine is a big multi-screen one. So, but yeah, 3440 by 1440, it's just, it's way wider than you think. Mm. It's nice. just, but you can open three decent sized browser windows side by side. Hmm. And uh, uh -huh. yeah, compelling. Nice. I don't know. It's not as curved as you think. So I don't know that the curve was essential, but I think if it was flat, it would feel weird. The edges would be a long way away. So Llewellyn, you're thinking of adding that to your stash? I, I, I think I would add that to my stash. Yeah, absolutely. About a thousand bucks? A thousand bucks. So we still got four thousand to go. Still got four to go. All right. So we're going to get four more of them. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to have them go all the way around me. <laughs> so I, I got to go for the, the watch from Apple right now. Like if I had $4,000 that was sold burning out in my six pocket. Six hours flat. <laughs> they are sold out. Yeah, they they we were recording this on April tenth. Today was the first day you could order it. You could actually order it online. They sold them all. First deliveries are now in June. Hmm. So I don't know if it's going to be great, but I'm I'm very eager to find out. Um, hmm. 
Okay. I have a couple other things around the house that just been really wanting. Uh, so I had a Sonos system I really like to play music. Right. I'd like to grab some more things. I, I tell you, I in my younger days, I would acquire lots of music through means that might not be as acceptable nowadays. I have... <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but I never used to listen to all that music. Like it would just sit on my on my terror station. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I added the Sonos, I, I start listening to it like so often because I can just walk into a room and tap it and it will, it will just grab it from the playlist. And I'm really liking it. So hmm. I'd, I'd add that. A couple of Raspberry Pis uh, just because they're really nice servers to play with home automation with. They're just so cheap, and you can just you can just shove them and plug them in, and well, and you can spend as much as you want on the Sonos too. Like I can spend five grand on Sonos if you try hard. Really, there's, there's lots yes. of different parts to it. You can you can load your house with them, hmm. right? I mean, basically smart speakers, right? Yeah, smart speakers. That's exactly that's a great way of describing them. Yeah, I got the Bose Quiet Comfort headphones. The they're like in ear noise canceling. I love those. I'll I'll use them on two places that I really like. One is like on the airplane where Love it's them. just yeah. And the other is walking through a, a city. It's mm. it can be like walking through a forest if you're in a city and you have the noise canceling turned on. That's it's interesting. Just tranquil, like you feel relaxed, you get to see all the people, but they're not making any noise. <laughs> it's really neat. And you watch the panhandlers come up to you mouthing words. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> um I think like some flash keys. So I'd like the 32 bit or the 32 gigabyte flash key that actually looks like a key because fat 32 just works with everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also really like the quarter terabyte flash drive. Yeah. But just, yeah. So one of those seemed like a good idea to grab. And then um, the, I'm not sure what the right one to get is, but I've been playing with either the Kivo or like the Locatron. Or the August, which is um like keyless door entry. Yeah. Right. I have a Prius, and so like I, I've gotten into the habit of not ever taking my keys out when I get to my car. And when I get to my to my apartment door, I'm like, like what century am I living in? <laughs> I need this metal thing to <laughs> why doesn't my door know who I am? Have you seen Navdi? I haven't seen Navdi. Is that for your car, right? Yeah, Navdi.com. It's a heads-up display. It sort of projects out into your field of vision about a meter away. Yeah. Or a couple of meters away. Heads-up displays. Yeah. And then I got one little thing. As I was going through like all these little things I'd like, like the tiles and the Chromecasts, I was thinking, like, oh, I could really use a refresh on my Kindle. And then I was thinking, you know, if I was to win a Kindle from .NET Rocks, where so many of your your guests are authors, mm-hmm. seems like that should come with their books, and and you know maybe a, a signature from Carl and Richard on the Kindle. Could mm-hmm. you could you throw that in as a prize? As a preload, buy all of our 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 uh, guests' books and load the thing. Yeah, as long as we can get a deal, or we uh, we have a way to do that. Under five grand, sure. So that that seems like a nice toy to have. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Gadgety. I love that we spent more time on toys <laughs> than we usually do. We need that once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, toys are great. Thinking about them, right? It's all these bits and pieces. So you were in the middle of telling a story about... Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
about how to break this down, right? How to get it so the test can help the team when I can't turn on CI. Like, what's smaller than CI? Right. And so what was smaller than CI is, well, you know, uh, a non-automated version would be if I could just get the developers to run their own tests. Yeah. So, so I went and I, I grabbed, and there were quite a lot of tests in this project, but when I went to run them, uh, it actually crashed the machine, right? So too many projects with too many tests. Wow. And so, so that was too big as well. So then I moved to like, okay, well, let's just run the tests in the, the namespace that we're working. And that we could do. Right. And now, you know, you know, and I would say like, because, you know, as people who, who use tests know, green tests don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they, the, green tests do not mean your project is working. Right. But red tests do mean something. Red tests mean something is broken. I can point to it. <laughs> and so, so we'd say, you know, like, I don't, I don't care that things are green. I care that they start green and that they end green. But the reason I care about that is that allows me to get the important part of when they are red. Yeah. And very fortunately, because again, you know how you said you need those uh, small successes. So within two days of doing that, we really lucked out and we went to do a check-in and we got a red. And that was the first time we, it was just a null pointer that we had. We'd... I love that you were happy that it failed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that was the team saying, oh, we can fix that instead of other people. And, you know, a lot of times it goes up the scale. When it goes to the team next to you, there's a boss or a manager that's involved in that bridge. And you know, so that never happened because the red prevented, you know, the pain of the, the, sale. the test just served the team. Exactly. And, and so now we have teams that are starting to care about the tests and teams that care about the tests make it a lot easy to start talking about having, you know, continuous integration that everybody has to care about. Right. Right. And so I, I started that with one team and then I started spreading it to another two or three teams. We haven't gotten it to all eight teams yet, but again, it's a process and we have time. Well, part of this just sounds like patience too, that you try and do everything at once, you get nothing. That is one of the reasons this took me so long. Patience was never my strong suit. (laughs) Yeah, How did you end up being the patient person? What happened there? (laughs) So I I got lucky on a couple things. Uh, One is, so, and there's another concept. So that one concept is small changes and then repeating it over time. Right. So, because they are cumulative. Yes, cumulative with interest, right? <laughs> yeah, they reap more benefit. Doubling the number of amount of change does more than double the benefit. Yeah, and so okay, so like a lot of times, one of the first things we'll do is we'll sit down and in a mob, right? And you know, so I'm I'm good friends with Woody Zool. I'm I'm a huge fan of mob programming. Um, I don't I don't bring mob programming as like this is the way they have to work. Although I am a Huge, huge fan of mob programming, but it is such a good device to learn in as right. a group. And so we'll sit down together in a mob and we'll rotate on four minute timer and we'll just start refactoring. We'll do um, the shortcuts, right? Which I'm a big fan of refact- or resharper. So right. I tend to use those shortcuts. So for me, I will put them down. We'll find a, a piece of code they don't like, usually a thousand lines, maybe a little longer in a method. And oh, great. A thousand line <laughs> method. <laughs> so you've seen these methods too. <laughs> yeah. Every, and you know, the funny part is everybody has one. Everybody knows about one. Yeah. They haven't been everyone. willing to touch it, but they know it's there. <laughs> and so that's what we want to get them used to. We want to get them like, hey, it's okay to touch this. 
And so I'll say only things you can use are extract method and rename. And let's go find a paragraph that we can pull out. And when they do that, they're going to have to learn the, the shortcuts. Right? Right. A lot of times they don't remember the shortcuts. So uh, I was sitting with this team and I'll start doing, you know, so uh, the sharper shortcuts for this is Control-Alt-M and F2. And so the first time you do that, like the people are like, oh, keyboard shortcuts. I'm never going to remember this. <laughs> right. And then one person in the group is going to get it first. Right. And, and soon I'm not saying it. They're saying it. Yeah. And then like two or three people will say it. And by the time two people or two or three people are saying what the shortcut is, the whole group starts to get it. And that's what I mean by it. These compile with interest. You know, if three people on your team are doing something, the fact that habit has a much easier time to spread to the rest of the team than if one person gets it. Yeah, that's an interesting aspect of the mob. It's not really mob programming, more the mob learning model, that when lots of people are involved and only one, effectively one's the student and everybody else is the teacher. Yeah, and, and the knowledge in that mob is much smarter than I am, right? So being able to harness that and use that is really useful. It's really, that's really interesting that, because as it, you know, there's that old adage, right? Why do we all do sessions, right? It forces you to learn things more thoroughly. Absolutely. So to make everyone effectively a teacher is just a way to get them onto uh, having to learn it. That's just brilliant. There's also, you know, mobs are interesting. And, you know, so like um, I, I live in a beach community and we have a lot of bars. And the interesting thing is you walk through the town at night is sometimes like one bar will be filled, like a line out the door and everybody's waiting to get into it. Right, and the right. bar across the street is empty. Yep. You'll walk down the next night, it's completely opposite. Now the bar across the street is lying out the door and the other bar is empty. And there's this thing where it's like, once the bar gets this critical mass, you want to be where the other people are, right? right? You don't want to be in that empty bar. You want to be in the happening bar. Sure. And I saw the same thing happening when we put people in the mob where, you know, I'd have testers, like not on the first day, but a couple weeks in, they'd start to say like, would it be okay if I if I join? Or I had my BAs come in and sit with you. I had an artist come and sit with me. And when mm -hmm. they take the code and start programming in C sharp the first time, like you know, they're, they're excited but terrified, and and you really have to let them know that you, when you're at the keyboard, everyone's going to tell you what to do. You don't have to you don't have to worry. You don't have to think. Mm. But these people are really stepping outside of their their normal habits because a whole bunch of other people are doing it. So it must be interesting. And hey, they seem to be having fun. Maybe I can see what's up. Bandwagon technique. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it is a, an interesting dynamic there of just figuring all that stuff out. Uh, and it's so, you know, I was always the guy who went to the empty one because I don't like crowds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's somebody really good playing. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the, there is a very deep reflex that says you want to at least go see. Like, why is everybody there? What's that about? Exactly. Stand on a street corner and look up and see what happens. <laughs> How many people will walk by and join you and look up, up to and see what you're seeing? Yeah, exactly. Got to be something interesting up there. Just keep looking up with squinting like, whoa. <laughs> well, and that brings this other concept that's been really valuable to me, which is holding the space. Right? So that first person who's looking up, like, 
he he's just holding the space for other people to come and look up. And I was thinking about it, like, because I know that um, both you, Carl, and, and Richard enjoy drinking scotch. Mm, been known to. Happens. I'm guessing you drink more of it when you're together. I would, I don't know. I yeah. do. I think I drink more scotch when I'm with Richard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So in a weird way, you're holding the space, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely guaranteeing that a lot of the people drinking with you are drinking significantly more than they do at That home. is also true. So, so you provide this interesting service of holding the space of like, hey, guys, we're here. We should be enjoying scotch. <laughs> <laughs> he really is brilliant, Richard, this it's, guy. Well, <laughs> dude, uh, last that conference, and you weren't there. You were busy. Me, but, yes, I know. Yeah. I heard about this epic uh, drink fest, however. Well, I, well <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> I literally was brought, people had brought bottles to drink with me. And, and I'm, the yeah. emphasis on bottles. So this is the brilliance of holding the space. Is right. Because you are there, even though you're not doing anything, you're just literally holding the space. Everyone else is doing everything that they could do without you, but for some reason they don't. It, it, well, it's like it gives you it gives it all permission. Right? <laughs> yeah, like everything exactly. was fine. Richard's smart. Richard drinks scotch. Therefore, I should drink scotch. <laughs> so yeah, my my wife Kelly thinks that Richard and I are responsible for you know the. When we go to these conferences, all, all the developers running the bars down of bourbon and scotch. We just completely destroy the bars when we go there. And she thinks we're responsible for this because we are. started it. Well, because, and not just because you started it. It's because you hold the space. And, and the same thing will happen when I sit with my devs where, you know, they can do everything that I'm doing. And for the most part, they're the ones doing it when I sit there. But if I don't sit down with them, they don't do it, right? right. So they mm. won't sit and say, how can we clean up this section of code? Mm. Or how can we write the test for this? And when I sit there, they'll say, oh, you know, sort of Llewellyn's here. We should, that, that function's a little messier than it should be. Let's clean it up, mm. right? And, and then they'll clean it up. And I basically don't have to do anything other than this hold the space. And that, it's a weird thing. It's a very real thing. It, it almost feels like you're not doing anything because you're kind of not doing anything. But again, you have to measure your effect in what other people are doing, not in what you are actually doing yourself. Interesting. Yeah, so that can that can be a problem for a guy like you who wants to create good habits in people or help people create good habits in themselves to allow them to own it. Yeah, you got to allow them to own it. And you have to you have to realize that when people are learning, they're not going to do great things. You just want them to do better than they were doing before. Great is a great is a problem. Hmm. Well, yeah, and how many times have we seen folks held back from even attempting something because they're so concerned about not being great at it right off the bat? Exactly. Oh, that's an epidemic among kids, especially. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's just kids either. You don't think so? No. It's not just kids. There's actually some really interesting work from uh, Carol Dweck, who's a cognitive scientist out at Stanford, uh, called. She has a book called Mindset. And uh, Linda Rising has a fantastic talk. Uh, if you Google Linda Rising mindset about Carol Dweck's work, mm -hmm. but people will get this idea. And, and ironically, it comes from whether you believe that you are a good developer because you were born 
talented to think like computers or because of the amount, just sheer amount of work you've put into learning about computers. And if you believe that talent is something you're born with, you have a, a really big tendency to back away from failure. And, and there's a lot of fallout and consequences on what you attempt, on how much effort you're willing to do and show, on how you, uh, get, like, does this failure, does this help you understand what success looked like, or does this mean you are a failure? You failed, and you're a failure, and you f- should feel bad. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I know personally who won't take a, even a first step towards doing something that they want to do simply because they know they're not good at it at the outset and therefore will feel like a failure, and that's bad. You know, it, it becomes a personal problem rather than a learning experience, which I, 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 yeah, I think it's an epidemic, actually. I don't think it's kids either. I, I agree. Uh, she has seen it as young as three-year-olds having very strong opinions about this uh, throughout life, like, you know, till you die. Uh, very strong opinions on whether it's talent or whether it's a side effect of effort. It turns out, by the way, um, it is effort. And the ho- hockey teams in Canada are the best evidence I've seen of this. Where, yeah, you know, we read the and, same book. Yeah, so <laughs> talent is overrated. Yeah, and talent is overrated. Too. Yeah, talent is overrated. The real, the real value is in these habits and the work. What I loved about the book was. You could tell at the beginning of the book that the guys who were writing it wanted to believe in talent because they believed themselves were talented. Yes. And then as they dug deeper and deeper into it, they just like, it's not true. It's simply not true. It's amazing to see that. And, you know, it makes me feel worse sometimes about the things I haven't succeeded in because now I know I'm just lazy. You're just not trying hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> really that's, that's the real problem with that model. It's like, you know why you're failing? <laughs> Your fault. <laughs> But this goes back to, again, like why it's so important to build these habits because the habits are the things you're going to continue to do. And continuing to do is going to stack up in time really long, mm. right? Like even if you only do something like a little bit each day, it's going to completely overrun in a year anything you do in a, a week. Wow. And then there's this other concept I've been running into, and this is sort of related to patience, but it, I think of it as full which is, okay, so um, I had a friend come out this week, and, and she's from Finland, so she wants to get some sun. And so every day we go to the beach, but we only can go for like 10 minutes because 10 minutes on the back, 10 minutes on the front, and we're just on the border of sunburn. <laughs> right? So every day we walk to the beach, and every day we sit there for 20 minutes, 10 on each side, and then we walk back. And it's been great, but we could not go on Monday and just spend two hours in the sun. Right, because multiple things will occur from there. One, sunburn to pieces. Right. Right. Second, you're not going to have the success. You're going to have the exact opposite. You're going to say, "Don't go to the sun. Don't go to the beach. It's just going to end up in pain." And and then this third thing, your skin can only absorb so much. And so, because you know, again, this goes back to the training models of, "Hey, you're out here. Let's take the day. Let's take the week." But what would happen is people would just get full and they'd get tired. And, and so, A, there's this diminishing returns on what they can get. But much more than that, you know, when you exercise, it doesn't build muscle. It, it, it breaks down muscle. It's the rest that builds the muscle. Right. Hmm. And I was not paying attention at all to the importance of rest. 
and and doing a little bit and then resting where this stuff can start to to actually form. And so now I'll only work with teams for two hours a day. And I'll go and I'll work with different teams in the same company, but nobody's day is all that perturbed by two hours. It's like a kind of long meeting. They get back to their regular day, their regular work. I'm not really disrupting anything. I'm just taking a little bit of time. If I took the whole day, I disrupt things. Right. And the only reason you'd ever take up a whole day is because it pays you better, not that it actually teaches them better. So I think, yeah, it pays me better is, is the first part. And then the second part, of course, is that it's easier to schedule. Right. Actually carving out an hour each day is way harder than carving out a day in a month. Absolutely. Hmm. But this is another reason why people who are full-time employees are in an even better place to really do change. Because if they're there every day anyways, carving out one hour a day is actually easier for them to work with their teams. Hmm. Llewellyn, is there a place online we can go for some more resources? So this is like an amalgamation. So there's not like a nice place. If you're interested in the refactoring stuff, uh, Woody Zool and I have a a YouTube video called Practical Refactoring that can help get you started in mm-hmm. how to do things in little two-minute increments. Okay. If you look at uh, mob programming in general, not for how to do it in production work, but just that style, which is called Randori, mm-hmm. of sit with your team for you know an hour or two hours and do something, that is really, really useful. Uh, so go take a look at there, see how, how they do mobbing, see how that structure works. It's very light, but it's very useful. Uh, Figuring out what your team wants to do so you can actually do the important thing. There's a wonderful exercise called Lean Coffee, which is a, you know basically a five-minute timer and some post-it notes. But it's a really good way to get everybody's ideas of what, what they are interested in, prioritize them, and, and allow the, the gym to surface. Right, So it's, mm. it's a very nice time box activity to figure out what is the team interested in that you guys can work on? And it doesn't take hours of conversation, which is the no. benefit to that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, I mean, one of the habits I'm working on the most with almost every team I sit with is code smells. And there's a lot of good resources out there on what a good code smell is. And, you know, the really good developers, when they look at something, they say, does this smell? Yeah. And if it does, they then ask, can I fix it? Right. And if they can, they fix it a bit. And then they sort of repeat that question. But it's the same as like a kitchen, like people who have clean kitchens, like I don't have a clean kitchen. So every once in a while, I'm like, oh, this kitchen's a mess. Let me go and clean it. But people who actually have clean kitchens, every time they walk into the kitchen, they kind of ask themselves mentally, like, is it clean? And if it's not, they like clean up a glass or they, you know, they do the little things. Mm. And that's how you keep a clean kitchen. And it's the same for, good, maintainable, readable code. Those developers are in the habit of every time they sit there just saying, is this code good? Is it readable? Is it maintainable? Is there duplication? And if they hit any of those smells... Squirt some Febreze on it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times it's surprising that people haven't developed a sense of smell. Yeah. And a lot of what I do when I hold space is I'll just ask people, like, is anything wrong with this code? Why do you say that? Yeah. Well, Llewellyn, we're just about out of time. So thanks. This is great. Great stuff. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you out there in the wild. One other thing I'd ask is I really want people to start doing this at their companies and just help bringing their teams up. 
Uh, a nice side effect, of course, is you get to know your team in a nicer way. But I'd love it if they'd send their stories to you guys so we can start collecting what this is like when different people you know, help their own team to become better. Absolutely. I would encourage people to leave a comment on this show at .netrocks.com yeah. or on mobile devices. For sure. Let's do that. Thanks, Llewellyn. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC.